Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary gathering space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's constantly at work in our mess. I'm your host, Jen Jewell, and you're listening to episode number 24 with Ruth Russo. So get this, if you don't already know, The Messy Table is for everyone. Yes, we are geared towards women, but you men are free to join us at the table as well. We are partnered with My Church Life Church, but if you're a part of another church across the city or across the globe, we are partnered with you too. Together, we make up the body of Christ, which is diverse and beautiful and unified under the only name that's above all other names. And hey, even if you don't know what you believe or if you're still kicking the tires on this whole God thing, you are wanted and welcome in this highly imperfect space. So, fun fact, did you know that human beings have lived for thousands and thousands of years without computers or phones? I know, it's hard to believe. Home computers weren't unleashed on the public until the late 1970s, and smartphones were first introduced in the 90s. We might know these facts, but we're so tangled up in this uber-connected, technologically-driven world, it's kind of hard to imagine life before Instagram and email, YouTube and Pinterest. There are so many great things about technology, including podcasts, which I'm clearly a huge fan of. But we're also exposed to the continual glimpses of perfection on social media, which can, if we're honest, jack with our mind and what we view as normal. I love a little phrase in John where Jesus said, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. And there's so much wisdom there. We must peel back the superficial layers and remember that the behind the scenes is always, always holding up the highlight reel. There's so much more that goes beyond what we can see. And that's partly what we want to uncover here at The Messy Table, where instead we get to hear some of the underlying stories behind the pretty picture and how we don't have to have it all together for God to meet us right where we are. Well, my guest for today is the amazing and stunning Ruth Russo, who happens to be a great friend of mine. In this episode, we chat about how she and her husband just packed up their entire lives to plant a new church several states away from here and spread the good news of the gospel. She also shares about the difficulty of finding out that their daughter had type 1 diabetes, which flipped their life completely upside down. Ruth is one of the most compassionate, loving, and down-to-earth people I know. She'll feel like an instant friend, and I know you'll love hearing her heart. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. Hey, girl. Hey, Jen. Well, this is The Messy Table, and we're open about our imperfections. So should we tell them our little secret? I think we should. I think it's funny. (laughs) So Ruth and her husband, Sam, just moved to Omaha, Nebraska, to plant a new life church location. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But before they left, she came over to my house, and we had coffee and recorded what was supposed to be this podcast that you're listening to right now. But turns out I didn't push record. (laughs) It was on pause the whole time. And so today is round two. We are re-recording via Skype now that they are in Omaha. I'm here in Oklahoma. And yep, here we are. (laughs) Yay. It's pretty funny. God must have wanted something else in there or, you know, he had a plan for it. So that's right. It's pretty funny, though. (laughs) Uh, All right, Ruth. Well, kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself Mm. and your family. Who are you? Okay, well, I am Ruth Russo. I'm married to Sam Russo, my husband of almost 15 years. That's a milestone. Yay! And we are best friends. Um, I've known him a long time. And When did you guys start dating? You started dating when you were like... Too young. <laughs> too, young. <laughs> too young. How old were you? Like 16? Like yeah. I mean, he was 16. I was 17. Too Older young. woman. <laughs> Cougar. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I didn't know that, actually, for a while. Because he seemed just so mature. And he had a car, and he's <laughs> driving around in his Camaro. So um, Oh, the Camaro. Anyway. <laughs> so he's the new campus pastor of Life Church Omaha in Nebraska. Woo-hoo. And, yes, that's so exciting to launch a new campus in a new state. And we have three kids. Jocelyn, who's the oldest, she's 11, and she's super sweet. And also starting the teenage attitude now. (laughs) I feel like, because she's only 11, but I feel like she's 15. She looks like she's 15. Yeah, she does. She so does. She's so Um, tall. Yeah, for sure. We actually wear some of the same sizes a little bit. I mean, she's definitely smaller than me, but... (laughs) Can you share shoes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So she wears the same size as me and I, she's probably gonna even grow bigger maybe wear a size 10 I'm at like nine nine and a half I know one time so, and I were like a six so one time she was over at our house playing with Hallie and um she needed some shoes to like go out in the back pasture and play and I'm like you're gonna have to wear Derek's I don't have anything for you <laughs> that's funny And we have Audrey, who's six and a half. She is just so fun. She's funny. Tomboy in a dress. She loves to dress up like a princess, but go outside, get muddy, climb trees, play with animals. She wants to be a veterinarian when she's older, Um, which, you know, she very well may be because she just, if she could live with animals, she would. Um, Then there's Roman, who's two and a half, and he is our surprise baby. (laughs) (laughs) I was done with two. I was like, we have two. I did want a boy, but I'm like, it's okay. I'm good. I'm finally getting some freedom. Audrey's out of diapers. Oh, you know, and then surprise. (laughs) Here comes Roman, which is obviously a great surprise. I mean, we love him. He's just definitely got that boy uh, aggression. I don't know what else to call it. Because I remember everybody saying, like, get ready, get ready to have a boy. And I'm like, how different can it be? Like, when they're toddlers, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, she's like a little tornado, just <laughs> destructive, wrestling all the time, you know, like punching. He's playing, but it's like, mm-hmm. calm down, and it's always before bed. So That's anyway. how Jack was. And Jack was so <laughs> big for his age. He's always been kind of yeah. off the chart, just tall right. and, and big. And so at that age, Jack just started breaking everything. And not intentionally, just yeah. he was like a bull in the china cabinet right so <laughs> looks like roman is that way as well <laughs> so about a month ago you packed up your family your house your life switched the girls schools left a community that you loved and you've probably been figuring out new pediatrician and where you go to the grocery store and everything that goes with moving somewhere new new and colder <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so why much colder why did you guys do it Honestly, we felt called. We felt called for a while. We felt the pull on our heart. Probably a year or even two years ago, God was like preparing us to go somewhere else. And we prayed. I prayed about it. Our whole family, of course, prayed together. And and me and Sam prayed together separately as well. And yeah, we felt called to go and spread Jesus. I mean, and the hope of Jesus So this opportunity came up, and it was obvious. God showed us through prayer and through some other things some other people had said, um, friends, family, leadership. And it's just as simple as that. Mm. And I want to go where God has called us. Well, the truth is we're all called to this great commission. Um, Jesus, after he had been crucified, came back to life. He was about to go to heaven, and he left us in charge, which I think is 
kind of crazy, but hey, that's what he chose to do. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's, that's what you guys are doing, but it takes sacrifice just as Jesus gave up his life so that many would be saved. And I know that one of our core values at Life Church is we give up things we love for things we love even more. It's an honor to sacrifice for Christ mm-hmm. and his church, but that does not mean it's easy by any means. And I know that, that this is a big sacrifice for you guys. Um, even, even if the mission is worth it, it's not necessarily easy. So what has been exciting about this new adventure and what has been, if you're honest, pretty tough. Well, what's exciting is to me, obviously easy because the launch of the campus in a couple of months, that is so exciting to have a life church in a new state. So we know the power of God will continue to change lives in this community. And that's, that's so exciting. I mean, that's the mission. That's what we're here to do. And the difficulty of it is uprooting my family. That was I'm going to be honest, that was very hard for me, mm-hmm. um, leaving the community that I so loved and still love, of course. It's not, I'm not losing that, just adding to it. So the community obviously was very important to us. Jocelyn, Audrey, heard their friends, you know, and I know they will make new friends. And God is very faithful. He's already got that set up. He had their schools set up, um, and he's proven that, as always. But it's still, you know, kind of heartbreaking because there's a little bit of a loss with transition and change. So grieving that has been difficult. But knowing there is a great community here, the team is amazing. And Jocelyn's already made friends at school. Of course, Audrey has too. So the change, you know, schools and, and everything has just been difficult. But also God always, always proves himself faithful. Always. Well, I think just like Jesus said, I think it's in Luke, don't begin until you've counted the cost. And counting the cost implies that there is a cost, there is a sacrifice. And so I think it's okay to acknowledge that and to even grieve those things. But um, so how do you mm-hmm. kind of bring that all back around, those tough things? I know that you don't like the cold. You're in the cold right now. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, God always proves himself faithful not that he has to prove anything to me or really anyone, but he does because mm-hmm. that's who he is. So like I say, their teachers were great. And it's another thing which we'll get into Jocelyn in a little bit. Nervous about her having a new teacher and school and with the type 1 diabetes. You know, are they going to care enough? For me, that's a big deal to have to go through that again. But like I say, I mean, that's trusting God and... Well, I think it's inspiring because a lot of time we hear stories when someone has been through something difficult and then they're on the other side of it saying, yay, God is faithful. But you're proclaiming that from the beginning, even when it's hard, even when you're in process, even when things are difficult right now and you just moved to a community. I know that you have the whole um, Omaha team there with you, um, several other families, but really other than that, you don't know people yet. And so that is difficult and that is hard, but it's encouraging to me just to see you guys step out and take that leap of faith and to pick up your cross, which is literally what you're doing right now. And Mm -hmm. even in the hard things to say, this is worth it for the kingdom of heaven to grow. Oh, thank you. I may have kicked and screamed some. (laughs) Well, I think we all do anytime we're called (laughs) to anything. Yeah. And that's, I think, part of the myth of when we're called to something, 
think in our heads, sometimes we think, well, if God's calling us to this, it's going to be easy. All the pieces are going to fall into place. There's not going to be anything difficult whenever that's not Mm -hmm. what scripture teaches. Right. Yes. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Yeah. So true. All right. So you mentioned that Jaws has type one diabetes, and I know that this has been an ongoing difficult thing for you guys. So tell us a little bit about what is type one diabetes and when did you find this out? Okay. So I'm going to try to do this in a short amount of time because it takes a while to explain. And um, it's an autoimmune disease where the immune system attacks itself. Um, Something triggers it usually like a virus, or it can be genetic or environmental. Um, With JAWS, I'm pretty sure it was a virus because she kept getting stomach bug and colds, and it was during the wintertime. And so it triggered her body to attack itself and kill the good cells in her pancreas that produce insulin. Insulin is a hormone that we need to unlock uh, cells for sugar to go into the cell to make energy. So we have to have energy to stay alive. We have to have insulin, obviously, to stay alive. So since her pancreas uh, was quitting, the sugar in her bloodstream, they call it blood sugar, blood glucose, built up over months. It was probably over three months that it stayed there and it turned to acid in her body, which is known as DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis So uh, with her pancreas not producing um, insulin and it it stayed in her body, her body just needed energy. So it started eating the fat and her muscles in her body. So that's why she lost so much weight. I mean, especially that last week that we didn't know exactly what was going on. We thought she had the flu. We took her to the doctor and they said it was the flu and uh, she just didn't have that high of a fever. And I thought, this is weird. I've just never seen her like this. She was lethargic, which I know the flu can make you lethargic, but... So it was just worse than anything I'd ever seen before. When um, she's been sick before, it just was not like this. So the last few days, when we still thought she had the flu, because I called, I was like, maybe we're going to have to take her to the hospital. This is what they're talking about, maybe with the flu, about hospitalization. The last few days, she just kind of, she lost even more weight. She just looked bone skinny. And um, and how old was she at this time? Six. She just really turned six. And in kindergarten. Let's see, it was right after Christmas. So actually, she this week will be five years of her having it. And anyways, um, so that last day when finally we knew we needed to take her to the hospital, she began to come in and out of consciousness. And I was like, this is not right. So Sam came and got her because I was staying home with Audrey. She was 18 months old. And I just knew something was very wrong. And I just honestly didn't know if I could handle it. So I didn't want to take Audrey up there. And they knew they could tell um, when someone brings a child like that in. This is how most parents find out, too. Most is when they're going into a coma and when their bodies start to shut down. And they checked her blood sugar and Sam called me and said, well, they think it's diabetes. And and of course, I was like, no, they need to check again. Like, <laughs> that's not right. So um, she was admitted into the ICU. We were there for a week and they had to bring her blood sugar down slowly because she was, you know, just so high. And they were talking about brain damage and possible brain damage. And, 
you know, we needed to be prepared for that. And mm. I just was I like, imagine what those words? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. So my sister came over, which was a big help and stayed with Audrey while I could go up to the hospital and Sam's mother and my sister-in-law came and too as well. And my mother, they drove up. So that was a big help. So we stayed there for a week and she's taking, had to start taking insulin shots. So a type one has to either inject themselves or buy a pump that they can get later when they're eligible for a pump. Um, insulin injections. And that is for every single piece of food they eat. So all day, mm. no matter what they eat, they have to have shots or, you know, type it in their pump. And to do that, you have to add up all the carbs in every single piece of food. So every meal, every snack, every whatever, you have to add up how many carbs is in that meal, that piece of food. Even vegetables has carbs. Not a lot, but I mean, we still have to count vegetables. <laughs> and cheese is almost free, right? I've learned that. Yes. Yeah. So like, and every type one is a little different. I can tell with Jocelyn, the protein kind of starts building up if she has too much. So yeah, so cheese, like handful of nuts. Yeah, she can have like kind of stuff like that without, we call it for free. Like you can have that for free and she gets so excited. She doesn't mm. have to put insulin or check her blood sugar at that at that time. So she has to check her blood sugar all day. She has to prick her finger to check her blood sugar with a meter. We put a strip in and a meter shows the number of the blood sugar. So that's very important. That's another thing. It's not just, oh, you know, she needs insulin and she can go about her day. It's a juggling act all day, 24-7, at night too. So um, checking her blood sugar is very important because she cannot be too high or too low. So if she's too high, she needs insulin. We call it a correction. If she's too low, she needs sugar to come back up, sugar tablets. Um, she knows how many to take of those. And like I say, every type one's different. Every type one has a different amount of insulin they need to give or amount of sugar they need to get back up. And hormones can affect it as well, right? As they get older and their bodies are changing yes. and hormones are changing. Yes, for sure. Especially in girls, growth hormones when they hit puberty can make them sky high. And I'm I'm doing both. I'm giving her shots and using her pump, trying to get her down. And she starts throwing up and she'll miss school for it and everything. And um, it's very important for for the blood sugar to be in a certain range so that later there's no complications. So this is like a complete and total life change for you and your husband and Jaws and Audrey and Roman um, as far as how you eat, what you buy, how you keep track of things. I know you guys for years and years have woken up in the middle of the night because she often was too high or too low. Yes, very true. The first couple years was the hardest because that's when, first of all, like you said, it's a whole lifestyle change. So you're trying to learn how to manage this mm -hmm. every day. And at some point, send them back to school and get on with everyday life, feel somewhat normal. So the first two years is what they call um, the honeymoon phase. And it's not, like I say, every type one, I'm sorry, is different. So it's not, it could be a year or two or three for different type ones. But for Jocelyn, I feel like it was about two years where the pancreas worked a little bit. It would spit out some insulin here and there. And of course, we didn't know, you know, when that was going to happen, so she was getting low just, I mean, all the time. Because, you know, if they don't have sugar and they get too low, they start going, they can go into a seizure and, of course, possibly die. And um, so every night, like every night, Sam and I were so afraid to go to bed. I mean, we were praying and we were choosing to trust God, but we were still scared. I mean, mm. so she slept with us for a long time and 
so every night we, you know, we're like, okay, here we go. Let's try to get some sleep. And we'd set our alarms and we'd check her. And Sam did a lot of it, um, honestly, because I was falling apart. <laughs> I mean, I was just kind of going downhill. And he definitely is. He goes into crisis mode and he he's like, okay, let's. I'm going to learn all about it. I'm going to just do what I need to do. He's definitely a dude to have in those types of situations that just takes charge and plows forward. And, and I was kind of like that in the beginning, just like, okay, you know, God, I'm going to, I trust you. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to learn about this. I can do this. And just kind of gung ho and especially praying about her healing. I was like, all right, I'm going to speak healing over every day. And then as time went on and the management of it, just every day, just mm. counting. I had another child and just uh, the stress just really, really got to me oh, and yeah. I just it started to go downhill. Yeah. Well, I was trying to think, so I, I know we had met, but one of the first times that we had a long conversation, it was when we were at the Broken Arrow campus, the North Broken Arrow campus. And yes, I, remember I remember that we were between kind of the auditorium and life kids in that little hallway. And I think it was in the middle of a service because no one was around. Anyway, I think you guys had just found out not long before that. And you were kind of you kind of broke down and were explaining to me what was happening. And man, I just remember even in that moment, my heart just so going out to you, trying to imagine myself being faced with some kind of life changing news about your kid who you love so much more than anything. No, I remember that, Jen. I actually, I remember that very well. And you took the time to talk to me and to listen to me. I know I cried probably every time I saw you at that point. (laughs) I was just a wreck, but, uh, no, I think it's no, neat though. Very helpful. Well, God brought us together and in that moment, and I didn't yes. know that we would be such yeah. great friends after that. And I don't think we even right. said this in the beginning, but, um, one great thing about our friendship. So we've been at the South Broken Arrow campus together since it opened three years ago. And yes. our husbands are super great friends and we're great friends and our mm-hmm. kids just love each other and love playing. And so, you know, there's sacrifice involved on both ends of, mm-hmm. you know, leaving and also sending people out. And obviously, we still, you know, can talk every day thanks to technology, but anyway, yes. that's just a side note. But one thing you said just a little bit ago um, was that you chose to trust God, even though you were scared. And I think that's mm-hmm. all of us every day, even right now. There are so many scary things going on in this world. So many scary things. Yes. But to choose to trust God, even when we're scared, even when we're terrified, mm-hmm. that's something. Well, it... Definitely was not easy because I kind of feel like I lost my way a little bit, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to trust him and how to not worry so much about her Mm. every day, like every minute, like when she left, left for school. I mean, just, oh, my heart stopped until she got home. I mean, finally, when after like, I don't know how long, might have been six months or so, and I ended up in the hospital because of a panic attack. I didn't know what was going on. And anyways, of course, I didn't stay there, but... um, Stress, mainly? Yes, and that's what the doctors were like. We were pretty sure it's just stress. And I'm like, no, no, that's that's not right. You need to check my blood again, you know? (laughs) Like, 
so that's how much it just affected me that. Well, I can't imagine because even when Jaws has been here and I know one time she was staying the night and she had been low or high that day. I don't remember which one, but probably both. And so I probably <laughs> checked her like every hour in the middle of the night and she was asleep yeah. and I'm there beside her pricking her finger and she's probably like, what in the world are you doing? Leave me alone. But um, even just in those moments, feeling that responsibility of, even though of course her life is in God's hands, but just wanting to do everything you can to make sure she's healthy. I mean, that's like a itty bitty tiny speck of sand on a seashore of how you felt. And I'm sure that was a lot of stress on your shoulders and still even now. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, it's, it's easier, but I've not arrived at not, you know, Mm -hmm. just never worrying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's definitely gotten easier. So now she has a pump, and I know that you said that God has just been so faithful to provide um, teachers in a school that um, just has been super loving and caring towards her in this situation. Just where are you guys at now with all of it? Yes. So now, because God has proven himself faithful just over and over again, no matter how I felt, no matter what it looked like, as far as me, I can trust him more than I did because— honestly, of his pursuit and love for me. And that was a lot of it. I think I wanted to trust him and I did. I chose to trust him because I know there's a a difference between like choosing to trust him, even though you're scared and your feelings will line up later because his character does not change, even though our feelings do. I mean, that's something he's definitely proved in this valley. As Pastor Craig says, we enjoy him on the mountaintop and get to know him intimately in the valley. And that's definitely what happened as far as with with me. I mean, I've always thought I trusted him, but this was like another level of, God, I don't know how to trust you. I don't know. I just finally got real and was like, I don't know if you love me if you're not healing my daughter. Hmm. And even though I know that wasn't true, like my head knew it wasn't true, God didn't do anything. And I don't believe he wants her to have type one. I don't believe he wants sickness on the earth. We live in a fallen world. That's why there is sickness. That's why there is horrible things. Um, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God wants to give you life, an abundant life. And through Jesus, that's where that happens. And Jesus, through that time, just carried me the whole time. Even when I couldn't walk, even when I just couldn't, um, when I didn't feel anything, I went through all the stages, you know, of brokenheartedness, bitterness. I fought some bitterness, um, numbness. I went through numbness for like, I feel like maybe a year. And I felt guilty about that too, because I was like, God, I know you. Like, I'm not supposed to be having this hard of a time. I know you intimately. And I do feel like God said, that's okay. So God loving me through all that, showing me his character, which was love, which was I love you and I love Jocelyn. He loves Jocelyn more than Sam and I do, which, you know, how much we love our kids. I had to get to a place of even if, even if he didn't or doesn't heal her, doesn't mean he doesn't love her, doesn't love me, doesn't have this huge plan for her. Because he can use this way more than even if she didn't have it in the first place. And that is somewhere that has taken me years to get because of how much. I mean, who wants to see their kids suffer every day? I mean, that's just what is so hard. But him reminding me, too, who I was. I think I forgot a little bit whose I was. I'm going to cry again. You know, the creator. 
the creator of the heavens of the earth, of the stars of, of man, who he did not speak. He spoke everything else. He didn't speak man be formed. He got down in the dirt with his hands and he formed us and he knelt down in our nose and breathed breath into us. And, and this was a treasure he was going to love more than anything in the world. And I just had to be reminded of that, that he loves us more than anything. And he sent Jesus to come to this world, to this fallen world, to be beaten, to be persecuted, to be, talk about anxiety. He reminded me that Jesus already went before us. Mm. Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I talked to you about this before, about the hematridosis which is sweating blood, so much anxiety that he sweat blood. And it's a real thing. It's a rare condition because only rare people feel it when especially someone who's going to death row, going to be executed, starts sweating blood because of this extreme anxiety. Jesus was there. He's experienced it in full human form, full human form. And that actually made me feel so much better. Like you have experienced this and... So I did pray for healing, and of course I still pray for healing every day for her. Um, I write her little notes in her lunch, like, you are healed, and you are a warrior. You can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. Every day I put them in her lunch, and I'm going to do the same for Audrey and Roman when they can read. But I just want to remind her, like, who she is. And who she is is not only someone who deals, you know, with type 1, that's actually very little, my perspective shifted when I, you know, got real with God and finally just bared my soul to Him. And then He reminded me, you know, how much He loved me and who I was to someone just brokenhearted to not a victim. And that's what I want to remind Jocelyn and all my kids. You are not a victim. He can use this. And like I say, I mean, I still pray for healing every day. Yeah, His ways are higher than our ways. And there's right. so many things he might want to even use this um, to do even greater things than we can even imagine. But it's it's hard to sometimes surrender that control. Right. That's what surrender is a good word. Um, that's actually my word for the year is surrender. And I didn't have a word for the year actually till recently listening to one of your other podcasts. Um, surrender became my word for the year. And through, I think, the surrender of just knowing who he is and what he he wants for us, which is all good things. And that doesn't mean we won't walk through a valley, obviously, or, you know, go through hard times. But like I was talking about my perspective shifting of not being a victim anymore. I want to read this song called I Am No Victim by Christine DeMarco. She sings for Bethel. I'm going to read the verse and then the bridge. It says, I am no victim. I live with a vision. I'm covered by the force of love, covered in my Savior's blood. I am no orphan. I am not a poor man. The kingdom's now become my own. And with the king, I found a home. I am who he says I am. He is who he says he is. I'm defined by all his promises, shaped by every word. I am who he says I am. He is who he says he is. Mm, that's powerful. 
It reminds me, too, that we can bring all of us before our Father. Our questions, our open wounds, our scars, our deepest joys, our greatest mess, um, that we can bring it all before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the beginning and the end. (laughs) And just that, you know, we are still a battle, but the war has already been won for us. And the suffering that you're talking about really is what you guys have gone through. It, It even gives you this opportunity to proclaim His goodness despite what you've gone through. Yes, for sure. Anything we go through definitely is not wasted. And it strengthens our character. I mean, Paul said it. Paul was, I I feel like, the teacher on this as far as he went through anything and everything. And at the same time, no matter what he went through, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, imprisoned, beaten, all that, he was free. He was free because he knew whose he was. Mm. And... So that same hope, I mean, is for everyone. Jesus, obviously, is for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through. Paul used to kill Christians, but he had an experience with Jesus that changed him forever. Hmm. And that's what Jesus wants for everyone. I'm just in the listener position because this is just good, good stuff. And you have gone through the fire. You're still in it, I know. But it's just encouraging to see someone who's experienced just some deep grief and pain and trials to stand here and say, I still trust him. I still believe him. Even whenever, like you said, he had to carry you. And maybe that's mm-hmm. not the way to say it. Not not that you still believe, you still had faith, but that he was still there, that he still mm-hmm. held you, right. that he right. never left you. Yeah. Where my faith ended, that's where he was ready to work. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, I want to know what resources do you love and recommend that other women might benefit from as well? Yeah. So I had two books that I read during this time. Um, I had some others, but uh, I know I can't mention all of them, but one of them was Unreasonable Hope by Chad Veach. He's a pastor out in California, Zoe Church. And this really, really helped me with dealing with a sick child. His daughter's the one that's... um, does license syphilis, smooth brain, where she doesn't function mm. at all. She's in a wheelchair. And he, he had these same questions, like, God, and the same thing. Like, they were afraid she was going to die every day because she couldn't swallow. So to feed her, they were afraid she was going to choke every meal. And anyways, so this was a shot of encouragement for me, especially relating to someone else who has a daughter that's dealing with something and all the questions, faith questions. That was really great. And I also love the book Artisan Soul by Erwin McManus. There's some stories through his heartbreak that he went through in there that really, really just touched me and helped me to receive God's love through that book and how he's a creator and he created us and and we are creators as well, especially out of your heartbreak. So that was really a powerful one to me. And um, I have a few podcasts, of course, yours, Messy Table. And Pastor Craig's Leadership Podcast, obviously, is awesome. It helps me as a mother even be a better mother. And Erwin McManus, the same guy who wrote Artist and Soul, who's a pastor out in L.A. of Mosaic Church. I love, absolutely love his. He just really gets real with all—he says the questions I feel like that we're all thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I just love I just love his perspective on things. Mm. Awesome. Well, what is one final word of encouragement you want the women listening today to hear? Okay, so I just want to say— If you feel just so beat up by life and heartbroken, just wherever you're at, 
you, number one, are not alone. God is there and he sees you and he sees your pain. He sees your heartbreak. Whether you think it's silly or not, like God cares. One thing I kind of had to learn too was just be wary of the trap of feeling like you're alone. And I just want to read this real quick out of the book I mentioned, Unreasonable Hope, where it says, don't let the enemy convince you that you are the only one going through something. Be wary of this trap. If you let yourself believe that you're the only one going through something, you'll lose the ability to have compassion and mercy for others. And secondly, just know that he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you right where you are. No matter what you believe, no matter where you came from, no matter if you're Christian or not, if you're an atheist or whatever, your background, whoever you are, He loves you and He wants you to get to know Him. He puts people in front of you. He puts this podcast for you to listen to. He puts books out there for you to read. He's pursuing you in ways that you don't know. And I just want to leave you with this verse from Philippians 4, 6-7. through says, Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Bear your soul to Him and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. That is a promise. Amen. There's nothing like having peace of mind, even when our world is crashing apart. Right. Gosh, such important reminders for me. I mean, even just me today with my everyday real life going on. And I know it's encouraging to all the women who have their earbuds in and whether they're, (laughs) you know, doing laundry or maybe they're at work at their desk or on a lunch break or whatever you are doing out there right now. I know that you feel the same way. Just thank you, Ruth, for being willing and vulnerable enough to share your heart and your life and some of that messy behind the scenes Mm -hmm. with us. And we just thank you. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me on. It really is a privilege. I know I'm grateful for the reminder that I'm not the only one dealing with stuff, which is what happens when we're brave enough to share some of our behind the scenes. Ruth's story also reminds us that perfect love drives out fear, and that perfect love can only come from God. The fact that He'll love us and carry us through whatever we face in this world compels us to a place of worship. Well, there's more where these stories come from. If you missed last week, be sure to catch it. Shanna Crawford shared her powerful story of being brought out of the shameful darkness of the sex industry and into God's illuminating light where Jesus offers His life in the scandal of grace. And the next episode that airs in two weeks, two Tuesdays from now, is so good. I can hardly wait for you to hear it. You can find it all and subscribe for free at The Messy Table in iTunes. You can also join my email list at jenjewel.com, where I also link up resources in the conversation notes. And be sure to follow The Messy Table on Instagram and get encouraged throughout your week. Also, if you know someone who lives in the Omaha, Nebraska area, this new location that Sam and Ruth are launching will be opening Easter weekend. You or they can go to life.church slash Omaha and get more information. And lastly, if this conversation was impactful to you, the greatest compliment we can get is for you to share with a friend or on social media. Tag some people who might love this podcast and keep the discussion going at your own messy table. 